as blind people, yeah. sometimes it's easy to misread a situation. Okay. And this morning, I was thinking about something yeah. that happened in, I want to say 2008, but it actually might have been 07. Okay. Late the, uh, that year. Okay. I was walking on 16th Street Mall in Denver yeah. to, I want to say the light rail. Uh-huh. And this guy was asking for donations. Uh-huh. You know how I am with that stuff. I don't really trust people you know just asking you really have to know yeah you really have to to make sure that what they're asking is for a real cause here so i walk by this man yep there are two other guys near me and they both started saying gee you think somebody uh, who's gone through some stuff would have stopped and donated Mm -hmm. my assumption was that they were referring to me Uh like i should have donated to this person but i didn't see either of them pulling out their wallets right exactly now, maybe I misread the situation, but what do you think of that story? You know, it's funny that you talk about that because I heard an interview with this guy who wanted to do an experiment with his friend mm-hmm. because they didn't know much about the, you know, what homeless people in general go through in our country. And they decided to uh, do an experiment for five months and live under an well i mean they weren't living anywhere but they decided to go to different cities in our country uh to see to live among the homeless population without any money without a lot of clothes without a lot of food um and 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 actually it was in a book called under the overpass that sounds interesting and now now these were young christian men and they were talking about the the, the guy who was being interviewed was saying that um uh, there were people that actually did engage them, but it wasn't a lot of people. And even churches uh, rejected them, and, and, and they didn't know about their situation, actually. They, they, they did not tell anybody about their situation because they had a feeling that if they did, um, they wouldn't pay attention. Mm-hmm. So they did, this, they did this for five months, and I, I'm thinking about reading it because it sounds like a really interesting thing because... Um, especially for myself as a woman of faith, I, I, I often wonder, well, am I, uh, you know, am I showing love and kindness to a homeless person, uh, if I'm ignoring the person, um, now the guy did make, uh, he did make an observation and he said, uh, whatever you do, do, don't give the person money. Because most likely it might go to a drug habit or they say give them habit. food, but they but he he mentioned that if you want to give them food, give them food. But um, one of the best things you can do is give them um, a gift certificate to a, a restaurant. Oh, okay. Because then, if you really want to be generous, you could give them like maybe a fifteen dollars certificate to a fast food place or a coffee place because at least they'll have a way to get food if they're out of money. Yeah, and I thought. That's a really good idea. I, you know what? I wouldn't have thought about that. That is a good idea. But he said that it's, it's. I mean, he struggles with that as much as other Christians struggle with it. And I do too, because it's like, I was actually almost uh, panhandled. Uh, I think it was last year. It might've been three years ago, actually. It was right before the pandemic. Yeah, it was like three years ago. It was in the summertime. And I may not have mentioned it here. I, 
or maybe I did, I don't know, but it's, it bears repeating. Um, someone came up to me, I think it was a woman, and asked me for some money. And I said, look, I, I can only give you about 50 cents. And this person proceeded to say, can you give me a little bit more? And I said, nope, I told you 50 cents and that's it. And the manager of the, the place came up and said, excuse me, uh, we don't allow pandering in our establishment. I believe this happened in Starbucks, which at least the one downtown where you were at no longer allows people to sit inside. No, and I think it's, uh, I don't think it's good. Yeah, so uh, there's a lot to unpack about what you just said. Uh, one, that sounds like a book I would like to read because, you know, m both my parents became homeless later in life. And it, it sounds like an interesting story. And I said, and, I'll, go ahead. And this, this was, this book came out in 2005. So this guy was, uh, in his uh, 20s when he wrote this. Yeah. I also want to clarify, the guy asking me for money claimed that he was a preacher who was going to help homeless people. See, this is where I'm a little bit concerned too because there are people that will use God to get donations. Mm -hmm. I, that's not something I'm, um, that's not something that I support. Um, there are people that are homeless that really do need that they do really do need resources because not every homeless case is the same. There, there is a stigma behind homelessness, as you know, where a lot of people say, well, they're all drugged out. They're all mentally unstable. They don't want to, um, they don't want to find homes and some people choose not, uh, not to find homes, but I'm trying to think of it, uh, objectively because I did volunteer at a homeless shelter and there were uh, kids that were my age in their, uh, you know, 18, 19 years old that um, had either had children and their single moms or they got kicked out of their house for whatever reason, what it, whatever it is. So uh, no, no homeless case is the same. You know that I've ran the gambit with my thought on homelessness. Yeah. Partially because... I did grow up a lot of people where the reason they were homeless was because of drug use uh -huh. or was because they just didn't want to do the work. So this might be, I think this is one of the few areas, again, where I'm probably a little bit more conservative than you are, but... Well, I don't know if we, I don't know if you are conservative than my, I am. I'm very, I'm definitely very trepidatious. Uh, on this issue, I think I am. Okay. But it's also something that I think is good to examine from time to time and realizing that some people just had a bad lot in life yeah. and that's why they're in that situation. Well, even when, you know, my mom would come to visit and we would walk in the neighborhood, I could just tell that when she would see homeless people, she would say, let's, let's hurry, let's hurry, right? Yeah. And I get that. And you really have to be careful because some homeless people are only out to get what they want and they don't care about anybody else, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're greedy and they 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 choose not to take care of the, their, themselves. But at the same time, it's like, it's hard because where do you make that judgment call? How do you make that judgment call when there are people that really are struggling, but there are people that are um, that are putting themselves in that situation purposefully. And I've also did a, um, a paper on factor, factors that contribute to homelessness for my senior project in high school. 
And people are homeless too because they get into domestic violence situations where they're kicked out of their places or their apartments burn down or their houses burn down and they have children and they can't, um, they can't, uh, they don't have a house to, to live. So it's hard to make that judgment call. How do you know? And I lean more in the direction of your mom, to be honest, when it comes to stuff like this, I'll tell you a story. Yeah. And again, this isn't the case with all homeless people. This didn't happen to me, but it happened to my sister. Mm -hmm. This was after COVID happened, but before she moved away from Portland. Uh Because it was, she told me one of the last times we hung out in person before she moved. She was at the park with my nephew and some homeless person just ran up to them and said, I'm going to like kill you. So Uh she quickly threw my nephew in the car and got in the car and the guy tried to jump on my sister's car. (gasps) That is really scary. Yeah. I'm glad she got out of there. She got out of there and she called the cops because when she was driving away, she saw that there was a woman who also had some little kids. My nephew was maybe five at the time. Wow. That is really scary. And the cops said there's not really much we can do. Why? I don't know. Wow. That is really... So, yeah, that's really hard because... Um, there was a time, I, I don't think I mentioned it. There was a time where my mom saw a van and it was parked outside of the building and she thought that they were, there were some homeless people in the van and she wanted to give them some food or buy them some food. I would not do that. But I wouldn't do that either because it's like, you don't know these people. Um, you don't know why they're there. You don't know if it's it's just for a short time and then they're going to, they're going to travel again. It's, um... It's hard to make that judgment because I know I know for sure now I'm not going to give any any stranger money. I, I it's just not going to be it's going to be my rule from now on homeless or not, right? Mm-hmm. Um unless they actually really 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 need something, like they actually are not trying to uh try to take my money. But then how are you going to know? But then that? how am I going to know that? I mean, it would it would be I would really have to um think about that but um it's hard to make that judgment call because you know there are some homeless people that have either been homeless for years or they've been homeless for just a couple of months and they really um they really are in need of uh resources Mm -hmm. but but i want to read under the overpass to get a different perspective of it because he actually him and his friend actually lived it i might read that book that sounds really interesting uh, I believe the author's name is uh, Mike Gankowski. Nice. Um, I think he has to be now in his, uh, I'm thinking he's in his early 40s. Mm. Uh, and this was written in, uh, I think he did this in 2000, and he was in college at the time. How did you convince your mom not to go up to the van and give people food? She just decided. Okay, I didn't have to convince her. Nice. I, nice. I wasn't sure about that either, and, and I told you about this, right? You did at the time. Yeah, and I'm like, I don't, I don't think it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, um, he was, he was saying that the only interaction he had was with his friend, and a lot of people just ignored them. Even church people ignored them. Oh, that's interesting. But even other homeless people didn't really approach them. Um, I think they did. Um, I don't know. I, I, I didn't, I mean, it, they, he didn't go into too much depth in the interview because it was only like a two part interview and it was, and each interview was for a half hour. Mm-hmm. So 
you probably go get into that um, in in depth in the book. But even church people ignored them until they found out what was going on and that they weren't trying to take any money or food. And, and there were times where they wouldn't have any food for the entire day. And one time he tells a story about they were hungry and they were they were hanging out outside of a church because they had there was a church breakfast going on and they were so hungry that they wanted to ask them if hey can we have I'm I'm you know can we have some of your food because we haven't eaten in a couple of days and the person that was in charge said you have to you guys have to leave Be- and and this is a guy that didn't know about their situation obviously yeah. they weren't going they weren't going to say that they were doing an experiment and they said you guys have to leave and then they left and I'm like, okay, well, we'll find something else. And they went back to that same church the next day and the guy comes over to them and gives them both hugs and says, I'm really sorry. I was really out of line. I was uh, rushing to get this breakfast started and I didn't even uh, think about um, talking to you guys. And and he said that um, that guy was really... Um, really sorry for what happened yeah and um so even yeah even even well-meaning uh church people have rejected them and told them to leave the church or or what whatever it was because they were busy with their other stuff so and i was about to say so how do we reconcile this because you could say well do you go to the church or i was going to recommend maybe you donate a little bit of money to a program that works with homeless people I think that would be better mm-hmm. because if there's a program like, a, you know, or a homeless shelter, because they do good things um, that really need um, money for beds or just food, uh, or, clothes. food uh-huh, or, or, or donate to like a can drive or a coat drive. Yeah. will give, um, uh, will give good coats to homeless people that really need them in the wintertime. I think that's a lot better two than um giving money to a homeless person because you really don't know where it's going um it's it's yeah i think i think maybe programs that help them or at least or at least pointing them to a program that you know about i remember in 2012 when I was volunteering at this church, uh-huh. but it was to you know give out food and whatnot. Oh, it was for it was like a homeless event. It, it was every I can't remember if it's Tuesday or Thursday mm-hmm. for a couple months. I'd go there and help you know give out lunch to people. Oh. I guess technically early dinner. Oh, okay. And I wasn't doing that well financially at the time. Not that I'm a, you know rolling in it now. Me neither. But it was more extreme back then. One of the reasons I did it was because he got a free meal. I'm not going to lie. Okay. But I remember I sat down on one of the tables and two guys were having a discussion. Yeah. And one said to the other one, I just got the diagnosis. I'm going to be dead in a couple weeks. Wow. And you want to be careful about the lines you cross because this person wasn't talking to me. Mm-hmm. But you also want to have compassion. Yeah. In the moment, I got up and left the table because in my mind, I'm thinking that's a really personal discussion and they probably just don't want some buddy who they don't listening. know just listening in. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, and I hope I made the right move and didn't offend the person. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you were trying to be courteous. Yeah. Um, and when did this happen? Like 2012, maybe early 2013. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, also, too, uh, my, my sister and brother-in-law, um, before they got married and when they um, first were married, around Thanksgiving time, they would make a bunch of Thanksgiving food for the for their family, mm-hmm. and then they would um, go and walk around and give plates of food to homeless people. There's a few times when I was involved at the Blind Cafe, mm-hmm. and <laughs> this might be against the law, Uh-oh. but I didn't do. I mean, I I was there, but uh, one of the person who was a higher up, a vegan, would take the leftover food from the weekend and give it to homeless people. That's good. Yeah, I mean this person had some good qualities. That that's really good actually. Yeah. Um even if you, you know, have enough food, like for example, like if I met somebody at Starbucks and they told me that they were a homeless person, I think if I if I was able to, I'd buy them something at least yeah like a drink or uh a pastry or maybe a sandwich yeah. i said here um i'll buy you like a sandwich and a coffee if that's what you want but that's all i can give exactly that's all i could really give i can't give them my money because it's not safe and um it's not a, it's not good to do that um in my opinion but I would just get them like uh, at least a small meal, at least a small meal. So the vegan dude I was telling you about from yeah. the blind cafe. Yep. Uh, I don't know if this is true, but it sounds like something that might be. He was saying that in some areas of the country, it's illegal for you to give food to homeless people. It's illegal. That was what he told me. Where? Where would that be illegal? He didn't go into the specifics. Now, in fairness. He did travel around a lot because he was one of these people who would like to just drive around the country, mm-hmm. uh, which we've had the discussion. If I was cited, I'd be that guy. Yeah. So I totally, if I, if I had the means, I'd do that too. Yeah. But I, because of that, I think he'd probably know about that. But I just don't know where in the country it's I illegal just, to do that. I just don't understand. I mean, and I think it's more for like businesses because businesses, oh. a lot of times at the end of the day, restaurants will have excess food. Yes. Yeah. I don't. I just don't understand why that would be a law that you cannot give food to any homeless people. I don't get that. Excuse me. I think that's something that maybe some businesses worked to get into law, so that they can, you know, they don't have to donate and they can feel good because now they can say, "Well, we legally can't do it." You know, that's just not right. If that is true, which I hope it isn't. I believe it could be true in some parts of the country, but what do I know? I don't know. I just think, I think it's, I th- I mean, even just that small gesture could help somebody. But you know what's really annoying, babes? What? Is when you're in a restaurant and mm-hmm. people are panhandling in the restaurant. I know. Yeah. Well, you do know. I know because it happened to me at the Starbucks. Yeah, but it happens a lot in Honolulu, or at least it did when they, I was They panhandle at the restaurant? Inside, like, like, yeah. Really? Like, like, what do they do? They just come up to you, you're eating, they'll tap your shoulder and say, hey, can I have some money? Yeah, and it's like, excuse me, you're interrupting my dinner. Yeah. <laughs> or, uh, you know, it's just... Remember that one time, Bubs, when we were walking downtown <clears throat> and some guy was trying to ask us for money? 
I mean, we were like outside of the Starbucks. Yeah, we talked about that here. He wanted to see Star Wars. No, no, a different guy. Oh, a different guy. No, no, okay. that was that was with I wasn't there when that happened to you. You were. I was. You were because we were outside of the Starbucks when that happened. But tell me the time you were. No, 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 no. That was a different person, right? No, because you told me about that, but I wasn't there when it happened to you. I thought you were because I believe we discussed it here. No, it was a different person. And then okay. another guy came up to us and he goes, "Did he, did that guy just ask you for money?" Wow. Yeah. And yeah. We're yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. He did. But I don't think I was there for the Star Wars person, which is really funny, actually. I could have sworn you were. I was not. You told me that story. Uh-oh. Maybe I was waiting for you then. Yeah, you might have been waiting for me. I could have sworn you were there, and we were just hanging out, but what do I know? No, but somebody asked us for money, and it was some random person, but they, they were not wanting... They didn't want to see the Star Wars movie. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> What's it going to be like, babes, in 15 to 20 years when all of our money is electronic? You know, for people who are homeless. I really am, I mean, I don't really want to think that far because I know that um, they want to try to get our currencies digital. And I'm not, I'm, I'm really worried about that, to be honest. I am. However, I don't think there's a lot we can do about it at this point. I don't know. I think, I think there are people that are trying to fight for that to, um, you know, they want to extend the dollar. Mm -hmm. They want to extend it. They want um, real currencies. But this isn't, if it, this comes to fruition, which it might, um, this isn't going to just affect our country. It's going to affect everybody. Absolutely. And that means that debit cards, debit cards may be obsolete, so you can't just go to an ATM. And our dollars in our in our wallets, if we have any dollars, are going to be eventually obsolete, which is really hard to think about, to tell you the truth. I hear you, but it's more than that. It would make it easier for somebody to hack our financial system, I would think. And there are some people that are very much in the digital currency, and I'm thinking to myself, that just cannot be safe. They just can't be safe. Right now, they can't track it, but it doesn't... You're thinking of like Bitcoin and whatnot. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Bitcoin and uh, what's the other one that's really popular? There's a lot of them. There's like Ethereum is another one. Yeah, there's Bitcoin. There's... Um, uh, I forgot the other one. But And some people have already used it to pay, you know, to pay off stuff or to pay people money or... Uh, I know that now they're using, you know, now people can pay on um, uh, on Zelle. They use um, services like Zelle. I'm not familiar with that one. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a money service that I never used. Yeah, I know about Gemini and Coinbase, but the thing, one, if you ever hear somebody talk about digital currency like Bitcoin, mm -hmm. they always use a lot of terms that are very hard to understand. So it makes it difficult for a beginner to get into it mm -hmm. because it feels like they change the terminology every week. Now, again, yeah. that's my assumption. Mm -hmm. And also, one of the big selling points is that it's decentralized currency, so it's hard to track. But now they're trying to make it centralized because it's easy to steal and rip off people. So which oh, one yeah. is it? And now it's taxable, but it wasn't before, so... It seems like there's a lot of smoke and mirrors with digital currency because I, you remember, mm -hmm. I tried to look into it at the beginning of the year because yeah. I was fascinated by it. And yeah. I just kind of make heads or tails of it. And I'm not the smartest person in the world, but I'm relatively 
educated when it comes to looking at that type of stuff and online things. Yeah. And, and I, I just couldn't figure it out. And it's yeah. lost something like a oh, third yeah. of its value it's, since then. Oh, yeah. It's gone down. Yeah. It's gone down. And people say, well, yeah, this is a dip, but eventually Bitcoin will go back up. But my whole thing is, how is that going to be the case when you make it so hard for people to understand it? I know. And you're taking away the things that attracted to people. So it's not going to be centralized. It's it's taxable now. Uh-huh. But that was a selling point. And it, is it going to be hooked to the U.S. economy? I'm, I'm very confused about it. I am too. It's not like, you know, how, how the internet now is normalized um, because not everybody uses it. Yeah. It's not like that. It's a whole entire... Um, it's a whole entire money system. Yeah, they, they're actually calling it Web 3.0. And that came about that, because... Uh, what that to, it, it, it kind of scares me and it, and it concerns me a lot, actually, because for us blind users, how are we going to be able to navigate through all of that? Exactly. And another thing they had, what was popular was the NFT Yeah, yeah. I don't even understand that either. There was a story about somebody bought an NFT of the first Twitter post for something like $9 million. What? And they tried to sell it maybe six months later, and their highest offer was $10,000. That's crazy. There's something – I might have the numbers off a little bit, but it's something crazy like that. So that world just doesn't make sense to me. Now, that's not to say that – they won't come out with an uh, internet currency that is stable and that actually makes sense in the long term. But right now, it seems a little bit too and, hit and miss. And I know that uh, I believe Joe Biden is is chomping at the bit to um, have an executive order to make everything, um, every uh, currency now digital. I'm I don't not know sure if how it's going to work. No, no, I, I think it is. I think he wants to do that. But there's also a difference between digital currency and what I would call internet money, mm-hmm. like Bitcoin and Ethereum no, and so many No, others. Bitcoin is, is digital currency. It's but you know digital. what I mean, though. Yeah. There's a difference between that and using transferring money from your bank to pay something. You know. Oh, you mean like um, actually going on a website and paying it off? Yeah. So, well, what I'm trying to say is it's a difference between buying and selling things with Bitcoin versus you pay your bills based on money that you have in your bank account. No, I understand that. Okay. I'm, I'm just saying that everything is going to change. I Not know. just that. I know. I don't know how that's. I don't. I don't know that it that it will work. Um, for the next year, I really don't know how. Well, the next year it's not, but I mean it's heading in that direction. I've definitely been paying a lot more digitally since the start of the pandemic uh, because you know before then everything would be cash pretty much besides for the things i had to pay and and i i am um, um, i like digitally i still like using cash i still you know i still have um i still like using it mm-hmm. i still like carrying cash with me because you know i know that i don't always have to uh use my card i can use what i have well, good. but i mean that's just me and that's you. you. Apparently, Warren Buffett came out against Bitcoin recently. Really? Because he said that, and I hope I'm getting this right. Mm-hmm. I'm probably not, so double check it. Something mm-hmm. to the effect of it's only valuable if people use it, but 
if you have too much of it, it drops in value because you need to have enough of it out there to circulate through the market. So if I bought up a lot of Bitcoin, it, it eventually it'll start losing its value because people need to circulate it, mm-hmm. right? So he said from that perspective, it wasn't a good investment long term. Wow. Yeah. Huh. And again, I'm sure I butchered that. Right. So double check it. Okay. Yeah. But he also is in his 90s. He is. He won't have a lot of, uh, he won't have uh, that much longer, I don't think. Although you never know with people. He might be one of those guys who lives to be like 115. Just because he's still pretty active from what I understand. Oh, good. He's always using his mind. Good, It good. seems like he's doing something he enjoys. Good. And, and there are uh, definitely uh, sharp uh, centenarians around. Yeah. It's interesting. He's like worth something like $140 billion, Whoa. but yet he still works a lot. And he uses it well, it sounds like. It sounds like that. Yeah. Yes. yes. Very good. Very good. Very I wonder good. if Warren Buffett is related to Jimmy Buffett. Okay. I don't think so. I, I believe I checked that, but one of his right. sons is a musician. Oh, wow. Howard Buffett. Howard Buffett. Yep. Never heard of him. Yep. Have you? I've heard of him because he's Warren Buffett's son. Yeah. I think he's worth a couple billion dollars. So I know Warren Buffett says that he's giving all of his money to charity, or at least the vast majority of it. Mm-hmm. But I wonder how much of that is just you're saying that for the press, but it's really going to go to his kids. I don't know. I mean, Oprah said that she want, she didn't mind dying poor. She would give all of her money to charity when she died. So Yeah, but know. Oprah doesn't have any living children. She doesn't know. And Actually, no, she does. She gave up a, a, her son for adoption. Did she? Yeah, she had a son. Recently? No, no, no. Oh, I guess recently. he's 100 now, but... No, 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 no. She, she had a son a long time ago, and I believe... She had a child, I don't know. And I think she gave that child up for adoption. Okay. If I remember correctly. In the Kitty Kelly book, it said that she gave birth to a son when she was a teenager, and that kid died. Oh, really? Yes. Okay, maybe she, maybe he did it. I don't know. But my uh, point is... I thought I thought maybe he was still alive. Okay, my point is, she doesn't have any children to give her money to. And she's saying, after I die, I'm going to donate this money to charity. So when she's alive, she's big pimping. And, and, and that doesn't mean that she hasn't done good things in this lifetime. It just means that it's easy to say, well, when I'm gone, all my money can go to charity. You know, yeah, but you're you're looking at this like like Warren Buffett is a greedy rich person that would only give it to his kids and not anybody else. I'm saying I question that. Mm. Even though we talked about the story with his granddaughter supposedly being a maid for another family. Yeah, and then he said that um, he would pay for her college, and then after she graduates, she's on her own. Yeah. Yeah. That's what that's what you said. You that's said. what they showed showed in the story, but I wonder how much of that was set up. Maybe it's true. It could be true. You never know. You never know. They say, "Whoa!" It's easy to look at, you know, rich people like Warren Buffett and say, you know, yeah, that, that's that's the kind of person they are. But I think there are some rich people that really are generous and they have enough money to to donate to other people. And to be fair to Mr. Buffett. You don't hear stories of him living in opulence. In like a mansion. Yeah. yeah. So maybe he is that way. Maybe he really yeah. 
It's stingy, but plans to give it all to charity. <laughs> uh, I would say frugal would be the the word. Okay. I'm a, I mean, stingy seems like a more of a negative connotation that you don't want to share anything. That's fair. But I think frugal means you just want to um to save up money and then give it to someone who needs it. Nice. That's what I'm thinking. So, I don't like the term the houseless. The houseless? Yes. Who says that? A lot of people are trying, starting to say it. I never heard that before. Oh, yes. I have never heard that before. That, that sounds like a really, like... Woke um, terminology. It sounds very woke and it sounds very PC. And incorrect because I could say, well, I'm houseless. Exactly. I don't live in a house. I live right? in an apartment. Yeah, exactly. Now, this is interesting because I thought that this was one of these terms that was made within the last 10 years. The houses? I've never heard that before. Yeah, and what's interesting now, babes, is yeah. if you watch a report on homelessness, the reporters don't know what to say. <laughs> so they'll often, within the same story, go back between saying houseless and homeless, and they're confused about the exact terminology. But... yeah. I was watching the George Carlin special this last summer. Uh-huh. I think it's called uh, Waking Up from the American Dream uh-huh. or the American Dream. Mm-hmm. One of those two. It's really good. It's a two-parter on HBO. Mm-hmm. But they play a clip from, I believe, his jamming in New York special in 1992. Mm-hmm. And George Carlin said, we shouldn't call them homeless. We should call them houseless. So. Why? I forgot his reasoning. But he was using that term back then. But here's what I don't... Okay, here's what I how I think about this, okay? You can live in a house and it's not a home. I agree. Okay? Because the home is not so much where you live, but how you feel when you live there. Mm-hmm. Okay? You could live in a home that's just an apartment by yourself and you feel it's home. Like, I feel like this place is home to me. Yeah. Um, because I, I feel safe. Even in- though you're a part of the houseless community. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah you could live in a house or an apartment and it not feel like home um even if you live with other people it didn't feel like home mm-hmm. like when i lived in my former residence um and uh, the the nice people there will not be named there were times where i felt like it was home and there were times where i didn't feel like it was home that's fair you know what i mean it, after a while, when I lived there for a long time, and I lived in a couple of their places, I just didn't feel like it was home anymore. Like, I'm just like, I need my space, and I need to get out now. <laughs> I need to get out now. It's time already. But since I moved in here in the last two years, it's it really has felt like a home to me. That's good. Yeah. Something popped into my mind that's not related to this as you were talking. Okay. So I'm sorry if I got a little bit distracted or... This is a non sequitur. Okay. I completely space that today is September 11th. Yeah. It's yeah, the 21st I, anniversary. I woke up uh, today and I was thinking, what day is it? Because I have to, I was thinking about th- the next couple of days where um, I, I'll be going to the same place. Mm-hmm. And I, when you just reminded me, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, it is September 11th. It's also, unfortunately, the one year anniversary of my friend's death, which was. I was very, very shocked about, and um, and it's you know the 21st anniversary of that horrible, um, the horrible day of September 11th, and I just, I just remember that. Yeah. Um, like I told you many times, um, 
everybody was glued to their TVs back then. And we were in Hawaii and we went to the swap meet because the swap meet was open. And it seemed like there were people there, but it wasn't a lot of people like it usually is. The, uh, Portland su shut down. It wasn't. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. How much was shut down? Pretty much everything. So I remember, and I told the story before last year, so I'll make it brief. I was excited, and this shows you my mind at the time. I you now remember I was like 18. Mm -hmm. Because that day they were gonna release the Blueprint album by Jay-Z. Mm -hmm. Which by the way, that's a great album mm -hmm. if you really want to listen to something cool. But anyways, mm -hmm. I got up that day and I was up smoking weed the night before. Uh-huh. Turned on Howard Stern. Uh, as I often did back then. And he was talking about, you know, this plane just hit the World Trade Center. At first, I thought it was a joke. But then they kept talking about it and kept talking about it. And after Howard signed off at around 10, it was 10 our time. But they, they, they were simulcasting live. So it was like one in New York. It's something like that. I could have the, the numbers off a little bit. I switched to the local stations and they were talking about it and they said the airports are closed, the malls are closing today, mm -hmm. and pretty much every place in the city is shutting down right now. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So I didn't even leave the house that day. What happened the next day? Were things opening up? Um, I think so, but if I remember correctly... There were the helicopters in the sky for like the next week because people weren't sure if yeah. this is just the first wave of attacks right. or what else was going to go on. Yeah, and luckily it was only one. Yeah. It didn't happen like days later. But it completely changed the course of our nation. Yeah. Because it, it was justification for so many evil things that our government ended up doing. Well, what really is interesting to me that it took – a tragedy like that for people to actually be nice to each other you know how like when people have a people are um going to somebody's funeral yep and they're nice to each other at the funeral because of the departed whoever it was and then after that they just go our separate ways and go on with their lives as if nothing happened more bad came out of the aftermath of september 11th than the actual disaster itself i think you're right because the government has been extra, extra cautious and sometimes, sometimes I would say insanely cautious mm -hmm. because they think that, oh, well, if you could bomb a, a tower, or not bomb, but um, if you could um, fly into a tower and um, be a suicide bomber, then you must be carrying something in your liquid. Well, I think our government and both regimes, not just it's easy to pick on the right wing, but also Obama and to actually a surprising lesser extent Biden, our government officials use 9-11 as an excuse for authoritarianism. They did. Authoritarianism and also totalitarianism. Yes. I think. And, and I think we both can agree on that um, no matter what side of the spectrum or the political spectrum you're on. I think that. This has gone nuts. Um, the the liquid thing has to stop. I think that people should be able to carry a full body a bottle of hairspray, or a full bottle bottle, or even a quarter bottle of aloe vera gel. Because how would you put anything in that? You would have to really think about that. But also, mm -hmm. body scanners. Mm -hmm. Um, that's insane. Warrantless wiretaps on phone calls. I know. 
and, and we could go on. There's a huge it's, list. It's insane. It's insane. What they need, what what I think they need to do isn't so much monitoring um, every single person. Like you, like I never, I remember getting ready to go on airplanes and someone telling me something like you have to take off your sandals. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what would I be hiding in my shoes? You know, except for my feet. I mean, I would have to have something that would have to fit in my shoe. And, um, you know, people were being patted down and some people had, you know, urostomy or colostomy bags and how humiliating it was for them. And, and little children were being patted down. And it's just like, why are you doing this? Um, it's just gotten completely crazy and really uh, unnecessary to the point to where people don't want to go to the airport. Our government used it as an excuse to overreach. But now they have, uh, they do have TSA cards. That you have to pay for, right? You have to pay for it. I honestly think, I was thinking about doing it because um, I know someone who got one and he has to, he had to be vetted because that makes sense. You Mm -hmm. have to be vetted so that they know that you're not a terrorist. And once you get the card, all you have to do is wave it at security and you can go through that's nice, but it's also a giant scam because you're basically paying so you don't have to be searched, right? And that's basically saying, okay, if you're a poor person, we're going to put you through this humiliation. But if you got a couple extra dollars. He's not a, I don't think he's a rich guy. But you know what I mean, though. I don't think it's... Yeah. How many th- poor people have TSA cards? I don't know. I never counted. Do you think it's a lot? I have no idea. I'm just seeing what they're doing. Okay. I understand you're questioning a lot of things, but. But what I'm saying, babes, is it's a scam. How would you know it's a scam? Did this, you even, I'll tell you. Did you even Give look me, into it? No. Well, babes, they're not giving these TSA cards away for free. But did I ask for your opinion? What do you think you're going to get with me? <laughs> I didn't ask for your opinion. <laughs> you know, there was a time to be quiet. You really should. Hey, hey, okay, okay. All right, give me a kiss. I saw a leaf. Okay. But but there is there are times where you should really be quiet. Oh my goodness, Bubs. Oh my goodness. You might want to actually ask someone who got a TSA card before you decide to um, uh, assume that it's a scam, Bob. Uh, babe, I can tell you how it is a scam. I already know it was. But am I right? No. You, you don't think I'm right? No, I don't. Really? No, I don't. Really? I don't know exactly what the entire process is, but some people have decided to get it because they think that the um, the TSA... Uh, should not be there to uh, to to touch people. Okay, my question for you would be, babes, if it's not a money making thing, then why can't they just run a background check on people? And if you pass it, you get the card. Why do you have to pay for the card? I don't know, Bob. Maybe you should look into it. Okay. I'm just telling you what people have done. I'm not. I didn't. I didn't ask for an opinion. Right. I didn't ask for your. Uh, opinion on, on all scams okay <laughs> i'm just saying i'm just telling what, you this is what people have done and it's an option and to, if you don't want to do it then don't do it but right i'm just saying that I, that's what some people have done to uh take their freedom back from these um tsa people that 
shouldn't be doing what they're doing. I agree with you. They shouldn't be doing what they're doing. And in my opinion, an extra form of income for whoever, maybe it's ex-government officials, what is, and it's also people who run the airports, is selling these TSA cards. I'm just, I'm just saying, there are times where you really should be quiet. Oh. <laughs> you, know, you know what's good for you. Well, listen, I could see the benefits in getting one. I'm not saying I couldn't, but I'm just saying, let's not pretend like this is a form of th- th- philanthropy. Yeah, either. but you don't even know anything about it. You you probably, this is probably the first time you're hearing this about it. This is not the first time I'm hearing about it. You're not hearing about it? This is not the first time I'm hearing about it. Oh. Okay. No, I think when I heard about it, they were charging like $80 a year for them. I may have the numbers a little bit off, but it was something like that. And come on, we know. We know what they're charging for that. Bubs. Ah! <laughs> oh, my goodness. All I'm saying, Bubs, is don't make any assumptions because you know what happens when you assume things. I'm usually correct. No. <laughs> no, you're like maybe 10% correct on some things. Ow. Ow, ow, ow. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. Enough, enough, enough. enough. All right, give me a kiss, huh? No. Okay, give me a kiss. Okay. But point being is that um, because of September 11th, it nothing nothing at the airport has gotten better. And not just the airport; it's invaded every area of our lives. Uh huh. You know, we wouldn't have gone into Iraq. Well, Bush wanted to go into Iraq <laughs> anyway, but September 11th was the excuse. And we 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 were there longer than we should have been, but it's. But this isn't a this is not a conversation about Bush or how Bush is the devil or anything. Yeah, um, it's, and, or or how how some people think he is. But I just I just think that because of this tragedy, I I hoped that things would have gotten better with security as far as how to um, do background checks on people without invading everybody's lives by um, seeing how much liquid you have in your in your bags. But it hasn't gotten better. It's gotten no, worse. no, no. They really have to. Um, they really have to do something about it. Yeah, and obviously there was a huge loss of life on September 11th. And really, yeah. I mean, I mean, a lot of firefighters have, um, have died. Um, and now the firefighters are being disrespected, and and police officers are being disrespected. The good ones. Oh. And I, I don't, I don't think that's right. But there are a lot of bad police officers. Yes, but there are bad firefighters too. I'm sure, but. They were, um, you know, they were on the front lines um, 21 years ago. Mm -hmm. And now uh, a lot of them are just being completely disrespected and most of them want to do their their jobs is what I'm saying. A lot of them want to do their jobs. Yeah, a lot of them want to do their jobs. I don't know about most of them now. Uh, The body cam images we keep seeing of people getting harassed by cops has really helped me rethink the narrative that most cops are good. Um, I'll tell you something. I never thought it was like 99.9% of cops, like liberals used to say before defund the police. I thought maybe it was like 80% of cops tried their best and there was like 20% that were bad. And that's partially, you know, growing up in the type of family I grew up in. But in the last couple of years, I wonder if the numbers are like closer to 50-50. Because I, you not only have the cops who commit crime, but you also... And we're going to get into this more when we talk about Serpico, so I don't want to yeah. go on too much about this. But you also have the cops who look the other way. 
I, I don't know what the numbers are. I, w I tend to think that there's a small percentage of cops that shouldn't have been on the force in the first place. And I think that the reason why cops are in those areas um, who want to defund the police is because there's a lot more crime in those areas. And I think that they um, the majority of them want to do their jobs and they don't want to um, they don't want to cause a scene. Um, but it, it does mean that you have to look more into it because anyone can accuse a cop of being a racist right. without any evidence. Right. But now with body cams, we're starting to see a lot more incidents of this type of stuff. And it's, it's not always racism. There was that case that I, I still keep in my head. There was a protester when all the defund the police stuff was going on. He was an older man. I believe this was on the East Coast. And some cop pushed him to the ground. The guy ended up going to the hospital. And 57 members of that precinct resigned in solidarity with the cop who pushed the guy to the ground. And it was on videotape. So it does and make... who was reporting this? This was all over the internet, babes. No, but I mean... Who was dominating the internet reporting this? I believe I heard the commentary on Secular Talk. Mm, secular Talk, questionable, questionable. <laughs> secular, every, every news source is questionable. Not but every news source is yeah, questionable. You used to question there, every single There news is source. a difference between propaganda and actual facts. Because if you're not reporting the facts, then you're not um, you're not doing a, a service to your viewers. No, no. Every news... And the <laughs> Babes, you get triggered so easily, babes. Only with you, and, and I wouldn't call it triggered. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't call it triggered, Bob. No, no, we're not going to use that word here, and that's what we're talking about the news. Oh, oh, my goodness. Okay, okay, okay. okay. What? Okay, stop it. Stop it. I think that people should question every single news source, because every one of them is going to have a bias, but... Within that, because you just don't want to spend your entire life not following anything, mm -hmm. you say to yourself, okay, secular talk is really good at these types of stories. They might get some, uh, and they, I mean Kyle, mm -hmm. because he, <laughs> Kyle's really good at these types of stories, but maybe I don't want to go to Kyle for international news yeah, or maybe, does, go ahead. Okay. So um, really quick, he does um, secular talk. Um, Kyle and Chris, what is it? Kyle and friends. Crystal, Kyle and friends. Crystal, Kyle and friends, and then Kyle and Corn is yeah. One. But Kyle and Corn is not really a political show. They, occasionally, politics will come up, but it's mostly him and his high school friend talking about their lives and gambling and that type of stuff. Is that just like a podcast or something? It's a YouTube show. They call it a podcast, but you can't really get it anywhere besides YouTube. Okay. Yeah, but I might say to myself, okay, Kyle's really good on these types of stories. But on these one, but on these other ones, international stuff, he's not so strong on. Or I see he has a bias towards whatever it is. And you could say the same thing, like, well, okay, BBC's really good about reporting this type of stuff, but they ignore these issues. So, what I'm saying is, question every news source, and it doesn't mean you don't go to any. Because you do have to have trusted news sources like Kyle. But you also have to realize that every news source is going to have its issues. Well, I my former friend who is no longer with us anymore told, um, told me this. He said, there's one side, there's the other side, and then there's the truth. That's so somewhere in between there's the truth. And there are some sides that are more biased than others. But one of them 
could be actually telling what really happened. Okay. That's a takeoff of an old saying. Uh, there's three stories, yours, mine, and the truth. Mm-hmm. But it's also, yeah, even a broken clock will get things right once a day. I have no doubt that at some point in their long history, Fox News may have reported a story correctly. But it doesn't mean that I'm going to rely on them for all my news because they've also been complicit in a lot of things. Well, a lot of conservatives now are not relying on Fox for their news because of other stuff. But And and, and they have um, left a lot of other um, things that would say that they are conservative, but they will not um, report on stuff that is important to uh, the viewers. So... Um, where, where were we going with this? Because we could go on and on about this. Oh, we were, uh, you asked me, well, how did I know about those 57 police officers who oh. resigned in solidarity uh, uh, with the police officer who beat up the old white dude? And I said, I heard it on Secular Talk. So that, so I was trying to make the point that it's not racism, yes, but it's not just racism. There are a lot of reasons to believe that there's a lot more bad cops than we than I originally thought. Well, what about the people that were hurting cops? What about people that actually went and hurt cops? I don't agree with that. Uh, I mean, I mean, I personally think that there is a lesser percentage of bad cops, and the media has. Um, um, I mean, when I was growing up, I never believed that police officers were bad, and I always was told that if you um, if you're in trouble, go to a police officer. If a stranger is trying to talk to you, there's a police officer that's always watching. But as far as I remember, I don't think I've ever been taught that police officers, that you should stay away from them. And I also think that, and partially, partially because um, my dad was a, a civilian police officer for a, a a brief time and I can't remember how long it was but it wasn't for very long and he's done you know he, he was in law enforcement he was a security guard um and I I I just uh I don't know um I think I think that the media wants to say that that a lot of cops that more cops are really bad but they've been uh they've been trying to convince um people to uh, to think that way for a long time, I think. Okay, and we know that I didn't think that all cops were bad, but I didn't think that the percentages were as high as I think they are now. Let's go with an obvious example, George Floyd. So you have the one cop, which is named Derek Chauvin, yes. who killed him. But then you had the other three cops who were just standing by. So you but, could... but you also have to remember too, though, okay? Yes, it was it was not good for that cop to do. At the same time, you also can't hail george floyd as a hero i didn't either. say i was going to no, no, you no, got to no. listen to what i'm saying no, no, no. I under- okay go on okay so three cops so it's not just one but three other cops are standing by do you really think that the, that's the only time these three other cops have done something like that i don't know and and here's the thing i don't know if they're willing to stand by when somebody gets murdered in front of them they're 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 up to some shady stuff and do you really think that no, nobody would, else in the police department knows that these cops are up to some no, I would, stuff? No, I, I would agree. I don't think they should have stood by. I think they should have gotten back up. But, but my point, babes, is that these cops were shady before this. And nobody said anything. And if they did, it was swept under the rug. But, I don't, and, but how do you know that they were shady? Do you know anything about them? Um, I think it's pretty shady to st- uh, stand by when somebody's being murdered. I understand, but... I understand, but 
how do you know that this was going on before? Do you have any evidence? I don't have, yeah, I have evidence of seeing a, uh, somebody murdered in front of them and them just standing around doing nothing. No, no, but that's not evidence. You're just assuming that they were shady before. I'm just saying, do you have any evidence to prove your case to say that these people were shady even before the George, George I Floyd would enter this as evidence because they did nothing. And to me, that says if you're willing to do nothing when somebody when something like this is going on, something tells me you're more guilty. But let we can even take it off of George Floyd. Um, Yavaldi, mm-hmm. four hundred officers and one off-duty cop does something right. Yeah, and I think on both sides we would agree that they did not act the way that they should right. have acted. But it's not one cop; it's four hundred. Yeah, I know. I know that. I so, understand. and 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 a lot of people are very upset with um, the Yavaldi Police Department so because of it. My. And, and those 400 cops know other cops who probably stayed silent. So my point is, I, I, that's why I think the number is probably a lot higher on bad cops than I initially thought. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't tell you. I, I still think this, the percentages are smaller. but, um, And I honestly think that, they, that the media likes to pick um incidents incidences and they like to lump them together and make it sound like every single um like the the percentages of bad cops are higher than they really are there's no doubt that the media plays a part in this oh absolutely no doubt but again for every bad cop there i'm assuming cops hang out with each other and other cops know about this stuff and don't say anything because you've heard, maybe you haven't heard that term, but it is a popular term that you can Google or Newsmax or whatever search engine you like that said that it's called the blue wall of silence. And it's basically cops don't rat on other cops. The blue wall of silence. The blue wall of silence. I would imagine that there are cops that have said, look, if something is happening, because we we took an oath to protect the citizens of our country mm-hmm. and the citizens you know citizens and neighborhoods yeah they they I would imagine they took an oath when they were in the police academy that once they graduated they were going to serve and protect um and if they were uh caught breaking the oath then something was going to happen I would imagine that I think that is a part of graduation but that doesn't mean that they stick by that code. And listen, let's also not just pretend that life is completely black and white. There are gray areas. There is a lot of gray in life. And it's easy to go to the George Floyd thing, but I'm going to just for a second. Those cops, or at least one of them, may have started off as a good person who just wanted to serve and protect but as time goes by, you get corrupted by the system and you do worse and worse thing. things. I don't believe any of those cops who were involved in this George Floyd thing. I don't believe any of them were good cops by that point. I believe that they were super corrupt and they did probably did a lot of stuff that we don't know about. But they may have started off good. It's possible. Yeah. It's possible. And also, what about that cop who went downstairs, broke into that black guy's house because she thought it was her place, shot him to death, and it turned out that she was an alcoholic. Yeah, that was that was really bad. She shouldn't have been on the force. To yeah. Tell the truth. I mean, those things, there has to be a better way to background check these people before they um, 
before they decide to be on the force. Yeah, right? but are you really going to tell me that no one on that force knew that she was a racist alcoholic? I don't know, Bubs. I can't answer that question. What does your heart tell you? Ah. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. There's a lot of examples of this type of stuff. And, I, and again, it doesn't mean that every cop is bad. But I think the ones who know about uh, police brutality and I, choose to look the other way, they're, they're bad too. I will say this, and I think we would both agree, yeah. that there needs to be discussion among cops or with cops about the blue wall of silence. Yes. Because if somebody, even if it's just one person says, hey, I don't like what's going on here. Our cops are either being um, accused of being racist or um, they're doing things that doesn't have to be with race, but they, they get the wrong person or they kill the wrong person. Yep. And something needs to be done because if something isn't done, then our, our police departments are not going to be run correctly and they're not being run correctly. They're not going to be running the way that they should be run. Yeah. So I think there needs to be um, um, dialogues, whatever, discussions around the country with cops that were either former cops or cops that are in the on the force and talk about the blue wall of silence and if anyone has tried to break that. Because well, I think it I think it should be. We actually watched a movie last night about somebody who tried to break it. Yes. And got shot because of it. Yep. Yep. And we'll get that to that in a minute. Um but it's yeah, so we as a society and obviously there's many contributing factors. There is 9/11. There is the internet. There is body cams, but we're losing faith in our institutions. And in some cases, rightfully so. And in some cases, it's not that we should lose faith, but we should have more of a dialogue, like you're saying. Yeah, I think we even have to talk about, you know, wherever you fall on this um, side, we need to talk about institutions like the FBI or the DOJ and really have a discussion about what people think um, because there are people that, really think that those institutions, even the FDA, the CDC, all those things that were um, really in some ways controlling our lives, right? They, they had a lot of power. They and, have a lot of power. In some ways, but you can make the, the they have done good things too. They, have, they, they may have done good things, but now because new people are coming in or the people that have been there for a long time, uh, or the people that have uh, left after years, um, they have questioned, hey, uh, there were some shady things happening and nobody knows about it either. Yeah, like in that book, Empire of Pain, where they were talking about how they manipulated the FDA to get approval for um, oxycotton and all that good stuff. Yeah, and I think I think there needs to be not just a conversation with police officers, either on the force or off the force, or... Uh, people that have been involved in government agencies like the CIA or, or so on and so forth. There needs to be a dialogue about uh, corruption yes. behind the scenes. And I think we would both agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And we have less checks and balances. And by the way, if you want to blame Obama for something, mm -hmm. 
<laughs> you can blame him for getting rid of a lot of the checks and balances um, against corruption because it feels like it's gotten worse since 2008 when we had the housing crisis. We have less checks and balances on corruption. What, what do you mean? Like, give me an example. Of well, what like, when there was the... Uh, when there was the real estate thing in uh -huh. 2008, the housing crisis, uh -huh. there were no rules put on place as when our government uh, rescued those companies. they, th uh, The executives still got their bonuses. Madoff went to jail, but nobody else went to jail for screwing the American people out of all that money. Um, that only would, Madoff and his wife. No, he, I don't Sorry, think his Madoff. wife went in. I think it was just him and maybe one of his sons. Okay. And, and and maybe there was a couple other cases that weren't as high profile. I, I should be clear about that. But for the most part, they didn't put new regulations in. And Obama could have done that at that time. Oh. I mean, the crisis started in 2008, but it went into his administration. He could have, and the people would have rallied again for him had he put more regulations in. Right. Um, and that's... And as much as I like to rag on Obama, Bush, all of them, even Trump, uh, well, not in Trump, it's not one person, it's not one administration. Stuff has been building in this country for a very long time, mm -hmm. and it's 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 been past time to have a lot of conversations. And I think um, people on both sides of the political spectrum are really fed up with this yeah and they're not feel we're not feeling like we're being heard absolutely um and so i think i think there needs to be discussions all around absolutely there needs to be like uh town hall meetings well and it's like it's like that's why i strongly disagree with defund the police absolutely strongly but i do understand why some people feel that way and it would be disingenuous to me to say i don't get why some people think we don't need a police force I dis I very much disagree with them, but I could see that perspective. I could well, see why people would feel that way. Even when it comes to rape cases. Yeah. Okay. Um there have been um stories I've heard that rape kits have been sitting in police officers um offices for a long time yeah. and they were never checked for years. Mm -hmm. And that's why some rapes are never solved. Um because rape kits have been done on women. And in probably some on men too, because um, men, uh, and it's not really reported either that men, a lot, some men are violated as well. But they sit in uh, police precincts for a long time sometimes and they don't get checked. And that's why uh, some rape cases are cold. Yep. So anyway, um, it's a, it, our, our justice system, uh, the police force, uh, very corrupt right now and there needs to be there needs to be some major major talking and the police force is a microcosm for the rest of the system yeah. right because our politicians are corrupt our courts are corrupt our you know name it our city councils are corrupt it, it, it just seems like corruption is the name of the game right now and it doesn't mean that we can't change it no but if we are going to change it it's going to require some uncomfortable conversations. For sure. And, and um, you know, none of this PC nonsense. I think people really need to hear the truth about stuff. Yeah, it, it, but none of this PC nonsense, but none of this also conservative thing of let the free market decide. Like, we, oh, can, it, we, we need to have real conversations. Oh, I, I, I think the free market is very important. It's important. 
But what I feel conservatives often do wrong is they think that the free market... Are we going to talk about what conservatives the, do wrong or are we going to go on and talking about the movie? Okay. It's the and, answer and, to all our problems and, and it's not. Ugh. The private, sec- the private sector, it's all I'm going to say above the well, private sector. Well, here's what I'm going to say really quickly. Yes, the private sector is important, but we also need public options too. We need both. We need both. We don't just need big corporations and we don't just need government. Some things government does better than big corporations and some things big corporations do better than government and some things small businesses do better than both. But here's the thing and then I'm going to we should move on and talk about dinner and all that stuff. Go ahead. The the thing that conservatives are upset about is this. It's if the government was actually helping, right? Yeah. If the government was actually doing the job that we, the people, elected them to do, then maybe we wouldn't be complaining. And also, if they're not going to do it right, we have to do it ourselves. And that's exactly the attitude that a lot of conservatives hold. If they're not going to do it, we're going to take things into our own hands because they're not going to do anything for us. Okay, there is some truth to that. I would make the argument that a big reason government isn't helping is because they take these kickbacks from big corporations. And so, well, of course we're going to have uh, public schools that are defunded if private uh, school systems are paying, you know, uh, our politicians to do that. Of course, we're going to have situations to where uh, police forces don't have the right resources if, you know, uh, the private sector wants to pay for, you know, security guards or, or whatnot. So it's, we need both, but we need both in a balance. It's the yin and the yang. But the problem is that they don't want to balance it. Who doesn't? The the higher ups do not want to balance it. But they don't it's, want to. It's very yes. But, it's very um. It's a it's not in a it's an authoritarian type of a way that they want this. It is true, but they're being paid not to want to balance it by big corporations, and we can drop it now. Okay. Yes. Uh, let's talk about dinner really quick. <laughs> First, give me a kiss. No. Because you need a kiss. Why? Because you do. It's not the answer for everything. It's not the answer for everything. Babe. But Keep I guess going. it's the answer now. <laughs> good debate, though. Thank you. Anyway, um, we had a really good dinner. There was a few, uh, like like we said yesterday, there were a few um, uh, adjustments, but it turned out really good. I like the chicken tiki masala we made. The chicken was really tender. Thank you, Bob. Yes. Uh, my rice turned out excellent. Um, the tomato sauce worked. I really wish that I had an extra can of tomatoes, which I didn't apparently. And, um, I didn't get to the potato, but you said that it was a little bit undercooked. To me, that's what it tasted like. But I'll let you be the judge of that. Not super, not super undercooked, but. It it, it was, it wasn't too bad. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have yet to find it because I have like, um three uh things of leftovers i was a little bit bummed out because i didn't get to any of the slices of ginger yeah well you're gonna i'm gonna give you ginger so nice Yangel's going with you oh, good you can take her home yeah what about marianne okay <laughs> marianne's not here <laughs> <laughs> no what about the uh professor and gilligan and the skipper they can say lost okay oh my goodness yes but it was a very filling dinner it was very filling i only have one bowl and you had two and yes. even after two bowls i still had leftovers yeah like more than we ate exactly yes 
Very good, babes. Yes. Now, on to the movies. Serpico. Serpico. You want me to give a brief overview? Um, yes. Okay. This is based on a true story about a man named Frank Serpico, who was a police officer in New York in like the late 60s, early 70s. Mm-hmm. And the opening scene, he's being taken away on a gurney because he was just shot. Mm-hmm. We see his life through flashbacks. He graduates from the police academy, gets on the force, has one real friend who's a cop, but they kind of separate just because, you know, people get transferred and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. And he slowly starts to see corruption, right? At first, it's just a little bit here and there to where people will let off a drug dealer if they give them a little bit of money. And then it becomes more extreme. He keeps getting transferred. He is a little bit of an outlier in the police force because he's growing his hair long. He has a beard. His girlfriend is this bohemian character. She's a weirdo. At one point during the movie, they're at a nightclub and he's feeling a little bit awkward because every time she introduces Frank, she lets people know that he's a cop. Yep. And he also reads and is into music. Uh-huh. Um, and co- cops are a little bit taken back by that, but they're more upset that he's not accepting any of these bribes. Yep. Eventually, Frank ends up on this force, and his partner says, okay, you're going to make, I think, it was, was it 800 a month, right? Um, I think it was just about that. I, I wasn't sure about that. Yeah. I think it might have been 800. And he knew somebody in that police department. By then, he has tried to go to the proper authorities about this, but nobody wants to listen to Frank. Okay. And his his friend says, okay, I'm just going to hold on to this money for you. And whenever you want it, you can take it. Because the friend is thinking eventually Frank's going to come around and take the money. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't. And he keeps making noise about the corruption. At one point, Frank and his friend go to the New York Times. There's a big story about it. And there's an investigation, but we get the sense that this is going to be swept under the rug. Mm -hmm. Frank is transferred to a police department in Brooklyn. Yeah. And his first day on the job, one of his higher-ups calls him into a car and says, Hey, you know, we're glad you got some headlines, but just so you know, this is real money we're dealing with out Mm -hmm. here. You know, you're not going to get in our way of making cash. We're glad you're considered a good cop, but you're going to follow the routine now. Mm -hmm. Okay. Frank's taken aback by this. But eventually, because people are paying attention to him, he gets uh, a higher up who is, is really supportive of his work, we think. And Frank and a bunch of other cops are sent up on the stakeout. Eventually, Frank goes into the building, stuff happens, and he tries to get into this woman's apartment. Mm -hmm. He has two cops by him who are supposed to be backup, but one of them shoots Frank. Mm -hmm. Goes to the hospital. They say, you're going to live. 
you're not going to suffer from brain damage, but you're probably never going to hear in your right ear again. You're going to have some issues. Well, well, no, no. They said that the hearing um, is possibly going to come back because the, the, the um, fragment is... No, they no. say you're probably not going to hear in your right ear again because oh, really? those fragments are stuck. Oh, that's... Okay. Yeah. And you're going to have to check in with a doctor occasionally because of this. And you're going to have issues with... Um, your left side yeah, being stiff. And, and, and dizziness. Mm-hmm. So Frank eventually ends up leaving the force and moving to Switzerland. Yeah. But the movie ends with him testifying. Yeah. In front of this committee. Yep. Yeah. I know I, I summed it up very quickly because yes. it's a long movie. It is a long movie. And this is Sidney Lumet, who yeah. did 12 Angry Men. Yeah. After this, he did Network, which a hell of a of a follow-up to Serpico. And then he reunited with Al Pacino to do Dog Day Afternoon. Which I didn't really... I, didn't, I was confused about that one. Dog Day Afternoon? Yeah. I liked it more than you did. But this is definitely better than Dog Day Afternoon. This is better than Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah. Um, I think I gave that one a week. I think I gave Dog Day Afternoon a week seven. Yeah. Because I was just like, okay, this is. Um, and I liked his character. I liked his character better in this one because he really he did not waver. Nope. From his position, even though he was really, his attitude was changing about things and he was stressed out and he was taking it out on, on his girlfriend and. And all that. So. I'd give this movie an eight. I thought it was really good. I, I did have some issues with it. You said you gave it a week eight, right? Yeah, week eight. But a week eight is still really good. Yeah. Overall, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think I gave it a strong seven. Mm. Yeah. What stuck out to you about this film? Um, well, not just the fact that he... He... Uh, was angry about all the corruption and that he really wanted to do his job well. And he didn't like all this dirty money that they were trying to give him to shut up. Yeah. Um, I also thought that I think he might've been uh, suffering some, from some uh, PTSD. Maybe, maybe not PTSD. I guess it was. I, I think guess it, it might've been because I would agree with he you. He was getting, you know, he was getting angry at his girlfriend and, he was never that way before and he never he didn't want to listen to her and all of a sudden she said you know what i have to go because if i come back it's going to be the same way again and he never talked to me that way you've never told me you want you wanted me to stay with you and i'm you know it went once it was done it was done yeah and um i think she um I mean, she had her own issues, too, because she told him that she was going to marry some guy. When they're taking a bath when together. Yeah. And I'm like, why would she tell him that when, you know, they're spending time together in the bathtub? I mm-hmm. think it's kind of weird. Anyway, so she had her own issues, but she just got fed up with the whole situation. And this the way that he was acting wasn't the same way that he acted before. I want to ask you about the... Hmm. corruption in this movie and what it says about our society. Mm-hmm. But I kind of feel like we did a lot of that already without yeah. doing it. Right. But it is interesting that in some ways this film is just as relevant now as it was when it came out. I would say that. I would say that. Um, yeah, I, I would agree with you on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, but as I've said, it takes just one person to talk about it. Oh. Or maybe even more than one person. Well, does it? Because, yeah, he spoke out. Well, but I, wasn't, I wasn't finished with my okay. thought. Um, it takes one or two or even, you know, more than that to talk about things like that. And if it doesn't, if it isn't talked about, it will never be exposed. Right. But it, it's exposed now and things haven't really changed. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think I would have liked this movie less had I seen it in 2018. Hmm. I still would have enjoyed it. It probably would have been a strong seven. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I think I gave it a strong seven just because I was some. I was a little bit confused about certain parts, like the girl and uh, I. I was a little. I I wasn't understanding the bribe thing. Um, I don't know. But I mean, eventually, I was. I was starting to get it, but <laughs> it took me a while. It took me a while. What? No, nothing. You're mocking me again. I never would. Yes, you do. I want to read up more about Frank Serpico. Mm -hmm. I was on the Wikipedia page today, and apparently, was it NBC tried to make a TV series about his life a couple years after the movie? Right. But it was a dramatized version of it. Well, the movie was a drama. I know, but that's it wasn't like a documentary series or reality oh. show. Obviously, in the 70s, there was like really not very many reality shows. But Obviously not, they no. wanted to do uh, like a drama about his life, and it only ran for a couple of episodes. Mm. They did like a TV movie that was a backdoor pilot and then a couple of episodes of the show. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Would you recommend this film to your family? If oh, so, yeah. I know my dad would like watching it. How would you sell it to him? I wouldn't. Oh, hey, I think you're buckle by dad. <laughs> no, because he likes a lot of law enforcement stuff. I think he nice. would. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't take much to um, um, convince him to see it. I've never met your dad, but I keep hearing all these crazy stories about him. Maybe this is unfair because he's not here, but I'm going to ask you anyways as his representative. <laughs> I'm his daughter, not his representative. Do you think he would look at somebody like Frank Serpico, Serpico as a hero or a bad guy because he snitched on other police officers? Um, I couldn't tell you. Mm. I, I couldn't tell you. Just like, I mean, uh, I don't know. I'll tell you the truth. Interesting. I don't know. I mean, he might, maybe he would think of him as a hero. I mean, uh, I don't know. Wow. That's a good question. I I couldn't tell you. I, I I don't. I cannot go into that part of my dad's mind and say what he would think because, yeah, I don't know. We never had conversations about what he thinks about um the police force and what he thinks about, you know, what he um what happened with him in the military. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. This is a good film, babes. It is. Yes. It is good. Would you tell your mom about it? Yeah, I think so. I don't. I don't know. If she'd watch it, but oh. but I would. I would tell her about it. You know, yeah, yeah, if it came up. Well, good. Well, good. After this, film, we watched a Bee Gees documentary, which was very good on HBO. Or you have to say it that way. I don't know. Okay. Um, <laughs> now, granted, there were parts of it where I kind of drifted off because I was. It was a long day yesterday. Oh. A good, but a very long day. But 
basically the general um the general premise of it was it was talking about the Bee Gees and how they started and I I believe they're from England, correct? I thought Australia. England. It I thought it said Australia in the documentary. Well, no, they were they were known in Australia, but I think they were from England. Okay. And and remember when they said that they wanted to be a part of the British invasion when the Yeah, because they after they had some success in Australia, they came to England. Okay, I think I have to look it up. I think they were from from England. But anyway, um, so they were talking about how they started and they were on, um, um, there was a clip of them on a show and they really liked their harmonies and, um, a lot of their influence was from the Beatles mm-hmm. and, uh, they had definitely, um, success in the sixties and then, and then they broke up, I think, uh, in 1969. Yep. And they reunited. It took a while to get the magic back. At one point, they're kind of considered has-beens. Mm-hmm. Then in 74, after releasing a couple albums that didn't do too well, they did one uh, on uh, Atlantic album, uh, Atlantic Records. And what was the song that they said Almond Erdogan was in the studio for? Broadway Nights? Uh, I forgot what that was. I think it's called Broadway Nights. I could have it wrong. Okay. It's a hit. I've heard it before. Yeah. And one of them starts singing in this falsetto that he had never sung in before. And they said that that added a whole new dimension to the band. Oh, yeah. They record another album that's a success. They're working. Are you talking about Broadway Nights or Massachusetts? I'm talking about Broadway Nights, babes. Okay. Massachusetts was earlier. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. Is that the name of the song? No. Okay. What's the name? But you don't know it. I don't remember what it was, okay. actually. Okay. I, I'll look it up and I'll let you know. Okay. <laughs> they record another album, does mm-hmm. well, and they're working on an album in like 77. They get the call that somebody they know needs some songs for this movie called Saturday Night, Night Fever. Fever. They sent them like five songs, got on the soundtrack, which mm-hmm. becomes like one of the biggest selling albums ever. Yep. That also included Staying Alive. Yep. Which is the name of the sequel to yes. Saturday Night Fever. Yes. But that's a story for another time. Yes, it is. And in some ways, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, it felt like their career after Saturday Night Fever was pretty much just living in the shadow of that soundtrack. Which, again, it isn't necessarily bad because it's how many artists would kill to have something that popular right well i mean they made they made some albums after that you know it wasn't just the you know that the career is over i mean they were still singing with each other no and they had a couple of hits but it's nothing like that yeah what did you think of this it was a really good documentary i was surprised that they had younger people on there like justin timberlake Mm -hmm. and um uh, who was the other one? Was it one of the Nick Jonas or something? Yeah, yeah, Nick Jonas, which I thought was kind of strange. I'm like, well, why would they have these younger people? I, I, I understand that they liked the group, but I would, I was thinking they were going to have just the people that worked with them and um, record producers or whatever. I, I actually got that because with yeah. Justin Timberlake, they he was giving kind of like a popular singer's perspective uh-huh. on why they're so good. And Nick Jonas and Noel Gallagher were there to, to talk about, well, this is what it's like 
to have success as a musical artist, but to be connected to your family. I'm not familiar with Noah Gallagher. Oh, his story's super interesting. Really? And because Is he, he a singer? Because I don't remember him. He sings, but he's also uh, a guitarist and songwriter. Oh wow. And he joined his brother's band before the band blew up. Mm-hmm. And the band ended up being this band named Oasis. Oh, oh. Okay, which, yeah, you've heard of them. Yes, yes. Okay. I really liked Oasis, but okay. they were a little bit full of themselves when they first came out, especially wow. Liam. Yeah. And the story I heard, mm-hmm. which <laughs> things can get, you know, muddled, mm-hmm. is that in the early 2000s, Noel and Liam were in the studio. They got into an argument, oh. and Liam started talking shit about Noel's wife. Noah. Noel. Noel? Yeah, his name's pronounced Noel. Not Noah. Yeah, exactly. I just said Noel. Okay, I thought I heard Noah. Okay. Started talking shit about Noel's wife and Noel's little daughter. And since then, Noel refuses to even talk with him. Oh, He completely disowned Liam. And Liam is the type of dude who is great to watch in interviews. And yet, I completely get why Noel would disown him. (laughs) So, Liam, let me give you an example. They were once in a feud with the band The Blur, and I believe Liam said about the lead singer of The Blur, I hope he gets AIDS and dies. I never heard of The Blur. Have you? Yes. And I mean, I, I've never heard their music anyway. Okay, but I was trying to give you an example of something he said. That's what he said. Yeah, I hope the lead singer gets AIDS and dies. Wow. Which is funny to read, but I don't know that I would want to spend a lot of time with Liam. Yeah. Noel seems yeah. a little bit more down to earth. Let me tell you something else. In the 90s, you remember Unplugged? Yes. Okay. Yep. So Oasis was supposed to do an Unplugged album uh-huh. and or an Unplugged performance. I don't know if they're planning to release it as an album or not. Right. And Liam was the lead singer. Yeah. Okay. Liam was out partying the night before and was too, I guess, messed up on drugs or, or alcohol to do the performance. But it still had to go on. Mm -hmm. So Noel said, okay, my brother's sick and he's not going to be able to perform the song. So I'm going to do it right away. That's bad because it's (laughs) an album or a performance without your lead singer. Yeah, that's really bad. Here's what makes it worse. Liam was in the audience. Oh. And in the middle of the set, he started hackling Noel and kept doing it throughout the performance. Oh, no. And this was all because it's unplugged. It was all caught on tape and released as an MTV special. Wow. Or on their MTV Unplugged uh, special. That's crazy. Yeah. So now they really witnessed um how Liam how crazy Liam is. They're another thing and then we'll we'll get off of them. They had it was the album before What's the Story Morning Glory. It was mm-hmm. the first album. I forgot the name of it. And I want to say it came out like 93 or 94. A couple months later, an engineer takes a recording of them yelling at each, at each other in the studio, studio Noel and Liam, mm-hmm. and releases it, it to the press. And it actually started getting a lot of airplay in Britain yes. to where I think it became like a top 40 hit, <laughs> even though it's just them yelling at each other. Did they put, it, did they put music behind it? I don't know. <laughs> I haven't heard it. 
Yeah, so they they had a contentious thing. So he was on there to talk about what's it like being in a band with a relative. So when he's talking, it's interesting you didn't get all that context. So when he's talking about it's the greatest thing and the worst thing in the world to be in a musical relationship with your family. Mm-hmm. If you know the history of Oasis, you kind of you kind of see what he's talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah. And Liam was the lead singer of the group. Liam was the lead singer. Noel did some songs on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but Noel wrote oh. the music okay. or the, the lyrics. And Liam sang the lyrics mm-hmm. on most of their stuff. But yeah. Oh, wow. How do you feel about that? Uh, it's a pretty dysfunctional family there, I guess. <laughs> I, I'd love to go in deep with Oasis with you. Mm. After that, I don't know. I want to talk about the blue. I want to learn about the blue ball. No, I want to talk about the Bee Gees because we got off topic again. Yeah, you talk about the Bee Gees work with the blue. (laughs) I didn't say that. I know, I'm making fun of you. (laughs) I know. And who are the blood? You know I'm not making fun of you behind your back, bub. I'm doing it in front of your face. Uh-huh. All right, anyway, tell me more about the Beezers. Okay. Well, so, the, okay, so we talked about um, the Saturday Night Fever. Um, phenomenon. Phenomenon. Even though, I mean, you showed me the movie and I thought, this is a really dark and rough and intense movie. Yeah. And you wouldn't think that with the soundtrack because... It's just Bee Gees music all the time in the movie. In the movie. And the soundtrack isn't completely all of them, but they have a lot of songs on it. They have most of the songs on it. They have like half the songs. I think. Yeah, half of it. Yeah. Anyway, um, we fast forward to 1979 and a lot of people are just fed up with disco. Um, well, he, what, what? yeah, they released an album in 79 that did well. And then Steve Dahl out of Chicago yep. um, was a disc jockey who hated disco. Yep. Now, how much of this was his own doing and how much of it was the thought of the, the uh, radio station he works for? I don't know. Yeah. But he organized the uh, blowing up of a lot of disco records. For some reason, I thought that happened in the early 80s. But the documentary okay. makes it sound like it was 79. And they had this um, big uh, disco blow-up protest. While this was going on, the Bee Gees were performing. Well, no. no, They were on the road at at the the same time. I was going to finish, but you interrupted me. They were performing on the road. Okay. Go ahead, Babes. No, I'm done. Okay. So something I found interesting, Babes was they talked to somebody who was a pioneer in house music. I forgot the gentleman's name, but he was working at the stadium at that time. Mm -hmm. And he said, it's really interesting. Disco was originally this musical expression for black people and gay people. Mm -hmm. And this felt like an example of a pushback and kind of putting down people who are already marginalized by saying disco sex. Mm. That was that was a very fascinating observation. Well, and then when when the usher was talking about that event, I don't know if I remember what his name was. The, yeah, that's the guy I was just talking about. Yeah, yeah. And he was saying that most of the records that were blown up were black records. Yeah. And it was like, wow, really? Yeah. 
And um, and he called it like it was like a book a book burning. Mm-hmm. And I said, "This is this is crazy." And they the BGS were now thought of as a disco group, and so um, stations refused to play them because they thought that okay, well they made this Saturday Night Fever um, soundtrack. They are part of that soundtrack, and that's a a big um, album album and a a dance movie. And they immediately thought that the Bee Gees was just a disco group, but um, Barry went on to say, "I think it was Barry. One of them. Uh, yeah. One of them said, hey, look, we're not just a disco group. We play in other styles too. We can't just say that we're a disco group just because we made that soundtrack.' Mm-hmm. And and I can understand their frustration and the anger with them. I yeah, I would be upset because I like their stuff." Outside of the disco mm-hmm. stuff. Their early stuff is great. Well, and even their disco stuff, I think it's really good. It is. Jive Talking. Yep. Staying Alive. Um, the, you know, just stuff with their falsettos mm-hmm. and their harmonies. I mean, they've got some pretty, they have some really, really good harmonies. They do. And um, in that song, I Just Want to Be Your Everything with um, their brother, Andy Gibb, who uh, joined the group in the in 1988. Right before and then, he died. Right before he died, like six months before he died. It was really tragic. Yeah. Because I thought for the longest time that he was a part of their group, but um, Andy Group, uh, Andy Group, Andy Gibb um, was a lot younger than them, and and made music of his own. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I think he made a song. I think he did a song called "Blood Is Thicker Than Water." I oh. think it's called. Okay. Um, he he did some good stuff. Okay. Um, but I just want to be your everything. Um, showcased him singing with the brothers. Nice, great song. Yes. But um, yeah, it was it was sad, and and at the end, I mean, they're talking about with um Morris and Robin's widows. Yeah. After Andy died. Yeah. And um, Barry was like, you know, it never goes away, and he said, you know, I I really wish it, that I had all of them back instead of um records yeah and you could say well it's easy for him to say that because he's a millionaire and he wouldn't be if they were back and he didn't have the hits but you do get the sense that they were actually close and that they had a contentious relationship they had a contentious relationship but it doesn't mean that you don't love but they dealt with it yeah and he was he, he was talking about they were saying oh robin was like the funny guy and morris was kept them the like the glue yeah morris was the glue and you know, Andy was having some problems and they told, and one of them told Andy, I think it might have been Morris. He said, look, all the stuff you have, the house and all of that, you know, it's a really nice house, a really nice car. It's all going to go away because of what you're doing to yourself. Yep. And it did. It did. He was right. Yes. Um, it was really tragic to hear that um, Andy Gibb died at the age of 30. Yeah. What would he have been now as a, he would have been 64. You know what he'd be doing today? What? He'd be staying alive. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. Dumb joke. <laughs> but um yeah, it was a, I think it was a very good title for the documentary. Um The Bee Gees How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? Yeah. I'd give this a strong 7. What about you? I thought I I uh, really you wouldn't give it a higher uh, grade. Strong seven is still really good. So the only reason I, I, I would give it a strong seven instead of an eight mm-hmm. is I now they touched on the fact that in the eighties they wrote songs for other artists. And I guess in the nineties they performed somewhat. But I would have liked to seen a little bit more of the later years. 
What was it really like after, you know, 1980 for them? And, 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 and you know, the, we only get glimpses of that in the documentary. Yeah. 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 Um, I did like that. I know that um, Robin, uh, Robin and Morris left the group. And I think there was a time where Barry was talking to Robin. I think it was, or something like that, Morris, or whatever it was. It was, it wasn't, it wasn't for a long time. Mm -hmm. But I like that he realized that, hey, you know, my brothers and I went through a lot, but I really, really miss them. Yeah, and I wish they were here. And it's you kind of think about like, wow, he's the only Gib. That's right. Yeah. He can't go on tour as the Bee Gees. He has to go on tour as the BG. Or it's a G because the other Gibbs are dead. So he's just the Gib. The Gib. Yeah. Um, and he was talking about how um, Morris, Morris was more like the mom. Yeah. I think it was because the mom was kind of the one that was the peacekeeper. And mm. and that, you know, that the dad was, um, I think the dad was like a businessman or something like that. I something can't remember. Like that. Yeah. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. Um, and, it, and it just seemed like... Um, you know, as much as it could be contentious with siblings, they they managed to stay fairly close for the most part. Yes. And that's, that's good to hear. Good stuff, babes. And they just had some great harmonies. And I was thinking about the song Massachusetts. You played it for me. Yes. And I thought that would be a fun song to play for uh, an open mic. We might have to do that, babes. Mm-hmm. 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 It's only in one key, I believe. Yes. G major. Yes. Would you recommend this to your family? If so, how would you sell it to them? I don't think I would have to. Oh. They like the Bee Gees. Nice. I mean, that was one of the groups that I was introduced to uh, since I was little. Nice. And, um, you know, I always, you know, the the, the falsetto is kind of funny, but. <laughs> yeah. You can recognize who they are. And you just hear Barry's falsetto and other, all their, their falsetto. And mm-hmm. they. I think they all knew how to sing falsetto. Nice. Uh, just, just a very talented um, group. Yeah, good stuff. Yes. Good stuff. Yes. Yes. Yes, and I like how they showed clips of them live. That was cool. Yep. Nice. And they and they did a clip of their um their song uh, um how can you mend a broken heart which has been done by various artists too. Nice, nice. Well, good. Is there anything else you want to say about the documentary? No, it was good. It was really good. I think I'd give it, um, I'd give it a strong seven too. I would have loved to have known more about their details later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. yes. But HBO has some good documentaries. Mm-hmm. Yes. There we go, there, J. Yeah, we good. Babes. Yes. Did you have any dreams last night? I did not. I did. Okay. You did. I did. I was at some conference. Or I guess, I, I don't know, something like that. And it was for this movie theater company. And they said, listen, if any of you have stolen any pillows from us, we would like them back. I had stolen three pillows from them in the past. <laughs> I no longer theater. have the cases, but I had two of the pillows uh-huh. without cases. So I go to the movie theater. It's kind of, it's supposed to be closed, but the doors aren't locked. So I go inside. I'm looking where to put the pillows. And... These other customers walk in. Can you help me with this? They do. But this lady, who's just a a customer, is kind of rude to me. Mm -hmm. 
and I go to leave. She follows me outside of the movie theater and wants to fight me. That's what I <laughs> What I want to know is, I don't know of any movie theater that has pillows. Yeah. I kind of wonder how the old movie theaters look like. They probably might have been a little bit more comfortable. I don't know. but I don't know. But the, but I don't know how they would be able to have pillows because the chairs uh, fold into themselves. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Even with, um, if you're in a studio, right? If yeah. you're in a, a studio with an audience, the chairs fold into themselves. Like exactly. movie theater chairs. Usually. Yeah. So I don't know of any movie theater that you would go to today that has pillows. Oh. <laughs> Unless you have a home movie theater system and you can have your own pillows. Yes. <laughs> but it was fun though. Besides for almost getting into a fight with a lady. And why Why did the, the lady want to fight you? I don't know. You don't know. She stole, you stole her pillows. Oh my goodness. <laughs> he, he didn't own the theater. Okay. She was just a customer there too. Oh goodness. Yes. Oh well. Yes. Well, babes, is there anything else you want to discuss? Um, yeah, I have um kind of a busy week starting tomorrow, so I'm anxious to find out what, you know, I'm anxious to find out what goes what what's going to happen in my meeting and then the next day. Well, good. And I be a, um I'm going to be assessed nice. the next day, which nice. Every time I, I know that I'm going to be assessed, I'm a little bit nervous about it. Yeah. Because, you know, they're just taking inventory about what you can do or what you can't do. Nice. And I am i don't like being assessed. But maybe it won't be too bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, babes, unless there's anything else you want to talk about, maybe we should wrap this up so you can kick me out. Okay. Sorry. Got it's okay. Okay. I guess, yeah. Oh, kisses. Oh, bugs. What? Do that normal. No, 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 no sounds and weird voice. Kisses. <laughs> no. Kisses. It's just like, it's just a cookie monster when he says cookie. Okay. Mm. Bubs. All right, sorry, babes. I don't know. Give me a kiss. All right, babes. All right. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.